0: Hello and welcome to African Jeopardy. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Crail in Scotland.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, and I'm Dihi Abib Habib and I'm the co host of African Jeopardy and I'm recording from Vancouver in Canada.
0: Today, we will be talking about cybersecurity in Africa. And I am so excited because we have an amazing guest to talk about this subject with us.
1: We are 100% female today, and I'm super proud to introduce Dr. Aisha Ali Gombe, who is an assistant professor of computer sciences at Towson University and a visiting research scientist with the Center for Computation and Technology, Louisiana State University. Dr. Ali Gombe earned her PhD in engineering and applied sciences with a major in computer science from the University of New Orleans in 2017, following a master's degree in computer science in 2012 and an MBA from Bayero University Kano in Nigeria in 2011. Her expertise and research interests are in cybersecurity, reverse engineering and digital forensics. She has published her work in top tier conferences and journals of computer and mobile security and forensics. Dr. Ali Gumbe is a recipient of early career NSF uh, a CR2 grant and total final um, uh, e- uh, total final undergraduate merit scholarship in Nigeria, amongst other recognitions. I am super happy to introduce Dr. Uh, Aisha Ali
0: gombe So, um, welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. So, the first question, obviously, given that we have you, the expert in our midst, is what is cybersecurity? And I mean, why should we be cybersecurity aware?
2: All right. Um, thank you very much for having me, ladies. Um, so cybersecurity pretty much is a practice or is a domain uh, field that deals with the protection of data, information, or the overall system from unauthorized accesses. So um, that means, you know, whenever we have a system or some kind of a message or some kind of a data that is meant for someone, um, so we try to put in things in place or mechanisms in place so that we protect that data or that system or that information or even network from unauthorized access from somebody that shouldn't have access to it. So that's broadly, you know, what cybersecurity is all about. Now, being that we are in the age of, you know, information, um, and pretty much like, you know, um, I think the current statistics shows almost 62% of global population owns some kind of computing device. So when I say computing device, almost that, you know, that amount of population has some kind of mobile device today. And those are actually computing devices. So we should all you know, um, in some way or fashion, we should be cyber aware. Uh, We should uh, be concerned with what protects our data, our information and that computing device. So that's just kind of a briefly what is cyber and why we should all be concerned about cyber at an individual level. Now, um, at, at a much larger scale, right? So uh, almost every organization today had some have some kind of an outward presence, whether it's um, uh, through uh, web services, through having a web server, a uh, web, web server, an uh, outward facing web server. Uh, they must have, you know, even if it is like you know an in house system that. that that does not have any kind of outward facing web service. They may have some computers, some system that they process some kind of information. They may have some local network. That organization has computing device. They process some data and information. So they need to be cyber aware. Uh, In a national level, you know, countries have to be cyber aware because uh, cybersecurity is a national security issue. Right, so we have um, uh, national infrastructure. We have um, um, other, um, what we can call um, maybe industrial systems that are key to national security that we need to protect. So, and uh, in some ways, all of the systems kind of uh, communicate or exchange, process some kind of data and information that we need to protect. So, uh, cyber. Kind of uh, is everyone's problem, right? So from just individuals, organization to, um, to 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 different governments. So that's that's a brief, just kind of an overview about cyber.
0: Thank you so much for um, really that um, really insightful explanation. I like the way you went from the individual level to multilateral and then to the national level. And it actually, I don't know if this is a good point to say this, but I'll perhaps Dihia has something like she's eating to say something. So I'm going to pass balls <laughs> to her for her to say what she wants to say.
1: You know, I love stereotypes. If you don't, you. <laughs> So I just like to play, we said this earlier, just like to play a little bit with this and make sure that our audience understands because they they, they may not like me, uh, I'm a novice in this. I don't know much about it. So uh, I'm gonna use stereotypes and try to educate myself there. So when we talk about cybersecurity, what comes to my mind, and we all, I think every single one of that had been exposed to that, like whether we want a massive amount of money in some sort of like ridiculous lottery that tells us to click here and put in our information there, or that Mm -hmm. Nigerian prince who needs, who inherited a lot of money, who needs absolutely someone to transfer that money to somewhere in Canada, and hence they want all their information. So, and then we talked about um, hackers from China, for example. So how does that, trend? what does it look like? This is my question. What does it look like in, in real life? Like, what are the things that we need to be watching for? Is this actually what we're talking about when we're talking about cybersecurity, Or is it something that happens in the shadows and we don't see it?
2: Right. So um, uh, when somebody reach out to you, you know, kind of trying to scam you, you must have something that that person is after. For that person that's coming, right? So most likely the person is looking after getting access to your bank account, getting access to your login details for an email, getting access to you know maybe your. Um, uh, uh, look some some login details for some important, uh, you know, account or profile that you have, right? So that's all about what scammers, uh, you know, why they, they come after you. So when you look at it, they're after some important information. And that information ideally should be protected, right? So that information, if the scammer gets access to that information, that becomes uh, an unauthorized entity having access to that information. So that's what where cyber comes into play we we'll call such kind of um, uh, scam uh, phishing or spare phishing. Um, and this, this technique is as old as uh, I will say the beginning of cybersecurity and it is still valid today. And I actually, I do teach my students about phishing and spare phishing when we talk about the different sc- different kind of cyber threats. And when we talk about different kinds of malware. Now uh, with, with this, um, so, when we talk about uh, uh, this fission, they, for, for the most part, these this techniques, they use what we call social engineering. So, social engineering is uh, a technique where uh, you know, somebody reach out to you and try to kind of cajole you, whether with money, because, you know, he thinks that will excite you or whether you know, uh, I'm sure like if you are in the academia, you've received tons of scam emails that says, you know, we're inviting you to be a speaker in this place, right? And then you click on it and then somehow like you're diverging your information, right? So uh, they, they, they wanted something and they craft the email, you know, to to look like a legit email. And maybe even the email address maybe look maybe coming from you know it, you know may look like something like a legit email address coming from like an organization you kind of trust or maybe from your bank that you kind of trust, uh, or it may just even you know uh, if there's that greed for money maybe they're targeting you know people that they think you know uh, you want to make you know cash much more faster so uh, it may not even be a legit email but they construct the email such that. Um, you can fall for it, so we call that social engineering because it's a very targeted attack. They use the psychic, they use you know words that they you know they think they're gonna you know uh, you're gonna um, accept or you're gonna uh, you know feel that that's legitimate. Now, a fo- social engineering attack, and, you know that comes in the realm of phishing and spy phishing is still an ongoing problem. It's still an ongoing research problem in the cybersecurity world. One thing, because this is not something that could be solved completely using technology, right? Because whatever kind of technology I'm going to put in place to protect you from uh, an email scammer, it is only when you really make that effort to protect yourself that is when um, you know that technology is going to help you, it's going to protect you, right? So, but. There've been a lot of research going on in this area where, you know, uh, 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 things like using machine learning, using natural language processing to kind of understand how normal emails are different from, you know, these targeted social engineering emails in terms of the wordings, in terms of whether you've ever received email from a particular, you know, geographical zone, you've ever received email from that email address, you know, things from the header. So there's been a lot of, you know, techniques and tools that have been developed and built into our email server so that, such that they can filter those emails and kind of try to, you know, highlight or point to you or even flag it that says, you know, this is not, you know, we think this is not a legitimate email, but you have to use your own discretion to to uh, to kind of determine whether that's a legitimate email or that's not a legitimate email. So one thing I also want to mention in this regard is In cybersecurity, we always say the human is the weakest link because whatever you do in cyber, whether, you know, not even like targeted social engineering attack, but even like an attack within an enterprise, if the user succumbed to that attack, then it makes it easy to exploit that organization or it makes it easy to exploit that national security, um, you know, a a system that you're trying to protect. So the, the human has to be aware of like, you know, things they need to do. You have to be aware that these things are real. Uh, It may be that, you know, you receive hundred emails and none of them is a scam. That doesn't mean like the next 101 wouldn't be a scam and you might fall for it. And that may be detrimental to you. And it may also be detrimental to maybe your organization and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, one last thing here is just, uh, we always think that, you know, when somebody hacker email, it is only our own problem. But just remember, your email might be your organization email. It may have some, you know, very sensitive um a correspondence between you and your, you know, top bosses. It may have some schedules. It may have some private information that you're privy to because you know you are part of that organization. So if you have a scammer having that access to that, you know, such kind of um, messages, then that may have some, you know, much larger effect than what we normally think it will have.
0: Thank you again for really. Not only extensive explanation, but really is also very insightful and very easy to understand. My my next question actually relates to, so we know based on what you've said that most of the time or some of the times that um, threats, cybersecurity threats might uh, manifest in the way that people send us emails and something phishing, as, as you called it. But what about the cases where actually you're bogged? And I'm going to say this because in 2018, you know, the, there was this whole news about how the Chinese bogged the African Union headquarters that was gifted by them, by the African Union, by the Chinese. Of, of course, they, they denied this which is why I said alleged. So what about when there's a case of bugging? and obviously as a continent, if if this is actually true, this is a very expensive, expensive threat because literally this is where the heads of state, heads of government come to discuss critical issues. How do you handle such a thing and how can the continent ensure and countries at the national levels, so how how can they ensure that this doesn't happen? What what should they look out for?
2: So, um, I, I've mentioned that uh, cybersecurity is a national security problem, and uh, uh, it isn't. So, um, in today's world. Uh, when so just to kind of give you a little bit about history of I'm a teacher so sometimes the way I explain things that I, I like to start from like the you know the lower to the higher so just kind of bear with me but just to kind of give you um, a, a history of uh, like malicious software so most cyber attacks today they're, you, they, are, they are carried on using what we call malicious software so malware or malicious software are just piece of software that run on your device without authorized accesses and they're designed to perform some illicit or illegitimate activity something you haven't authorized to do so uh, instead of like you know an attacker like you know in real life Kind of getting access to your machine and doing things, the attacker can just install a software and the software does that, you know, for the attacker. So it, it kind of an evolution. Uh, we malware started as you know very simple programs that, you know, um, that performs, you know, very simplistic things like, you know, maybe activism, you know, you're an activist, you don't like what a corporation is doing, you know, uh, a hacker can send malware into that organization and just like pop a message that says you're doing, you know, this nasty thing and we're not happy. But that over the years, it has evolved into like a crime organization. And today malware is used for cyber warfare. And I'm sure you've had that word before. So Every country has to take cybersecurity extremely serious because every country in this world is looking after itself, right? So there has to be a policy with regards to what we allow other countries to be able to do. Before I get to that bargain of the AU headquarters, I just wanna give you just a couple of examples here. Like in the United States, this is where I reside. There was a time where there are a couple of Chinese phones were not allowed in this country just because there was a research that showed those phones were designed with a software inside. So it, there's a piece of code that runs in these new phones that actually track information. Right. So then we have in Africa. So going back to that context of the AU headquarters, you know, I'm not like I'm, I'm not a policy expert in terms of like governing and all that stuff. But if I remember that headquarters was built by Chinese. Right. So they build and they kind of, um, if you will, set up all the systems. Now, is there a possibility that they build something into that system for tracking? Absolutely. Most countries do that, right? So we have to be extremely careful when we sublet or when we uh, you know, subcontract those kind of things to other countries. Whatever is their own interest, their countries come first before our country. So when you're building something of national importance, it has to be taken in that way, especially when cyber is involved. You have to make sure that the building of the system, the setting up of the system, the networking of the system is done with people that have the same uh, sense of, you uh, um, Uh, national priority as you do, right? So if you submit it to another country that doesn't have the same priority as you do, their country's priority comes first. Now in our own case, we're building an organization for African Union. Ideally is supposed to be built and networked and designed by Africans because we're gonna put in our priority into that first. There's nothing that's gonna stop a Chinese or you know Chinese government or company bugging this because the more data, the more information they can get from us, the more they can easily track what is happening and you know they can use it for their own national security interest. Right. So this is something that we have to be very mindful about. I know in Nigeria, a lot of people use Chinese phones uh, easily like, you know, it's the cheapest phone. I mean, cheapest technology. You can just easily go buy it. Do we know what's inside? Absolutely, we don't because we don't really do research to find what's in there. But a lot of countries do ban when you sell such kind of devices in their countries. Now, it's not only phones today. We have smart everything. We have IoT technologies where we have smart toasters, smart thermometers, smart everything. Like, I mean, pretty much we have smart homes, smart offices, smart cities, and all that. Maybe some of these are not everywhere in our countries in you know maybe africa everywhere but they are in some of the cities in africa some of the offices are becoming smart offices do you know where that you you know smart thermometer is coming from do you know what kind of information is sending back and forth i mean the whole world is a global village all you need is an ip address and you can send information back and forth from right where i'm sitting here to where you're sitting to where i mean pretty much we are on Zoom, right? So, and we're communicating, we're seeing each other, we're talking to each other, right? And we're not breaking, our information is then sent like right within the the seconds or, you know, microseconds that we're talking, right? So this is pretty much what's happening. We have sensors with this IoT technologies. We have our mobile devices that tracks almost everything around us. And this information is packed and, you know, maybe transferred somewhere. Uh, there was recently a paper, I can remember the author of the paper, but the paper, um, uh, it's, it's actually an article in one of the newspapers that says data is the new oil right? So the more data you have about people, the more richer you are. I mean, that's why almost every organization is trying to get as much as they can from you, right? Facebook is getting everything from us. You know, Zoom is actually getting things from us. The, the Twitter is getting all the data they can get from us because the more you have data about people, people the more rich you are and you know, you can, prop, you, can, you can manipulate that data with artificial intelligence and deep learning, machine learning and all that. You can, you can do a lot with the data and pretty much, you know, you own the world. So, uh, but, I mean, to round up this one, this question is, bugging can happen. Usually this kind of bug is not about, uh, you know, somebody receiving an email like normal phishing attack. It's something that is gonna be built into the system. And then you know that the, the system is is completely hacked. Like you cannot remove the bug from the system because it's built into the system. There are other bugs where somebody has to break in the bug. I don't know if you've had of um, the attack that was carried out in uh, in Iranian nuclear uh, um, a system where uh, the you know so. The, the, the story about that tap was, uh, it was initially on a USB device. So the, the, the malware was built on a USB device and it was thrown into just the premises. And somebody found the USB and I was like, what USB was that? And just like plug it onto the system to see what was there. And that was how the system was infected. And then they used that infection, moved through the system and they were able to infect the Iranian centrifuge. Pretty much those centrifuges were, were killing themselves. They were boiling they were dying, but they were sending information to the uh, to the anal- anal- analyst systems that they were good, like everything was good, but they were just like frying each other, you know, but they were sending false information. So that was cyber warfare, right? So, but the, you can do it, you can have it in multiple different ways, right? Mostly, yeah, it could be built into the system. It could be sent in terms of an attack over the network or, you know, physically, but countries do that you know this is unfortunately 21st century uh, warfare
1: i i'd like to think of myself as smart but i think i've been completely a complete idiot there too because one time my mom found a a USB key on the plane and she brought us like, oh, somebody ha- might have lost lost something very important. It was like, oh, let's see what's in it. You know, just plugged it into my computer. It was not that far long ago. It was like last year, I think. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> we're never too smart for these things. I completely fell for it. Well, it was, there were a lot of spreadsheets in there. It was like a legitimate USB key, but I didn't think twice about it.
2: Right, I mean, so the one that happened in Iran, it's. They're engineers, they're technicians, they're working in that country's um, national security, topmost national security (laughs) system, right? So you wouldn't think somebody would just find a uh, a USB key and just kind of like plug it on on any systems. And countries that take national security very seriously, there are places that you don't go with phones, there are places you cannot even enter, like within the premises, you cannot enter with any kind of, device right so no phones no usbs no any smart whatever like you know before you even get into those premises and i'm I'm sure you probably have been to like visas elsewhere i I don't know if you've ever been there you know uh they they will ask you drop your phone out you know somewhere i mean these are some of the reasons because they take cyber seriously you know uh what what so those devices that you have on your body uh as i mentioned in the beginning they are computing devices They may be capturing anything, right? So we all have to be conscious about all of this.
1: I I have another question. Um, So going back to the uh, African Union headquarters, um, I do agree completely that we should be sourcing home. You know, we we in Africa, we do have the capacity to build something. I mean, it's not a question; it's it's just an actual fact. And I'm just wondering whether we do have the capacity in general, like across African countries in terms of like cybersecurity, how does it look like And which countries perform best in terms of this, like making sure, because again, like it's a matter of the African union, for example, bringing in experts from Africa to say, well, you've been bugged or not. So which countries are performing best and whether we have the capacity that's sort of like awesome, amazing, I'm sure we do, but basically which countries perform best in that specific domain?
2: So um, unfortunately I unfortunately have to disappoint you in this one because uh, I I wouldn't know right. So I um I'm I'm, I'm just a teacher <laughs> somewhere and, and I I I didn't. Uh, so she and, says uh, modestly, <laughs> right? So I um I uh, I'm not privy to that kind of information because I I I don't teach in any of the African universities. So I. Don't really know like the capacity that we have in terms of you know the graduates we how many you know students we're graduating in this field and all that and even whether we have concentrations in cybersecurity etc. So I I wouldn't know much. But one thing I'm going to tell you is, um, uh, uh, I do meet some Africans uh, you know in conferences. You know all over the world and uh, so to tell you that you know definitely we have people interested in this field but one other thing that i'll also mention is a lot of things about cybersecurity is about curiosity right a lot of people learn to hack and to scam for instance right that process so what i always tell my students is the attacker and the defender they're actually different sides of the same coin right so for me to teach my students how to defend a system, I have to teach them the, the mindset of the attacker. So I have to teach them what the attacker is thinking, right? So if you know, we have, for instance, you know, people uh, you know, that can, can you know, um, let's say, uh, send emails, come and do that, why can't we harness the same you know, resources, the same people and put them into rigorous training so that they can learn to do these things? Right. So I, I think we can, but we just need more drive. We need more policy. We need uh, coordinated effort towards that. When you, when you take China, for instance, and I'm gonna give you just example of China and India. So um, China in recent years, they, they have made it their thing to really go after like building you know, mechanical devices, any kind of, you know, industrial system elsewhere, like China can build that capacity and even more, right? So even not just mechanical systems, actually, even electrical systems. And they're now moving into cybersecurity, like heavily moving into cybersecurity. Now, India has been been dominating the world of IT. Software development is their thing, right? So, and they're encouraging that in in their country. What are we encouraging in our country? What is our thing? Right. We have to really define, you know, what is the way forward for us and, you know, what is our thing going forward? What is the future of the world and what, you know, what should be in that future? Where do we see Africa in the future of the world? I mean, the world is like software is going to stay forever. I mean, God knows what's forever, but it's going to stay forever, as, as far as our, our forever is concerned, right? So software is going to stay forever. That means India is going to be relevant forever, right? Uh, those little, little smart devices and phones and whatever, yeah, and all the you know, electrical and, uh, and mechanical devices are going to be there forever. That means Chinese are going to keep producing these things forever. What do we want to be? Like, what is going to be our own future in that forever? In Africa, so we have to define really um, what we want and where we want us to be there to be. But I think we have the capacity, and I'm going to tell you where we have the capacity. Recently, uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just be- before I get to that, Facebook and Twitter. Do you know that? Africans now have, uh, you know, the, the, the population of younger people that will be joining the workforce is much higher in Africa than anywhere in the world, right? So that means we have the human resource. Now, recently, Facebook and Twitter, they're heavily investing in Africa right? I'm sure you know that they, they've invested a ton of millions of dollars in Nigeria and Kenya and you know some other African countries. This is because they have seen the potentials, right? So they've seen that we have people that all you need to do is you know give them some training and these people can do amazing things. When I say amazing, I mean groundbreaking amazing things, but we need that effort and drive towards making sure that our youths understand this. To add to that, do you know that I think as a Last, uh, was it two weeks ago or just last week, outside the United States, the Nigeria is the largest uh, country that did a big, that did Bitcoin transaction. Like United States was the, first, was the first country, Nigeria was the second country in terms of Bitcoin transaction. So this is a technology that very, very new, but it's accepted in Nigeria. Like people are doing this. They may be doing it because you know money is involved, they're getting money, but, can we take that potential and actually change, move it into something? Because you may be in the corner of your room, in the basement of your house, and somewhere in your heart, in your village, but you could be writing code for some people. If we take IT, you could be securing systems for some organization. You don't even have to be there remotely; you can be protecting their system. Why can't we do that? And you know, cybersecurity is not only about just like you know, yeah, I've mentioned that it's about protecting system, but there are other subfields of cybersecurity that it's not even technical, right? So you can be in management in business, and you can be cyber. You can do cyber. You can do risk analysis, right? So these are mostly, you know, things related to management, management, and you know, uh, managerial positions. They are not technical. You don't have to be a computer science, a computer science person, right? You don't have to, you know, learn computer science languages, but you can still be in cyber. There are a lot of things you know we can teach kids in um, in 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 other fields like you know helping um, um, law enforcement when we talk about forensics. I do a lot of forensics; it's about recovering of information from devices, right? So we can teach kids to learn all of this, and we have an enormous amount of problems. So if we take Nigeria, for instance, we have problems with Boko Haram, we have problems with the bandits, we have problems with you know Niger Delta, we have problems with iPod. we have enormous problems. And all of these problems, when we look at the way our security operators try to, you know, deal with these problems or handle this problem, we can see the lapses in intelligence gathering, right? So why can't we take some use, train them in intelligence gathering? The more we can, you know, utilize intelligence gathering, it's going to help us solve some of this problem. Right. But we need the skills. We need to provide these kids with skills, our younger generations with the skills they need for us to be able to build these things ourselves. Right. So I think, before we get to talking about you know how building you know systems for our EU and whatnot, but I, I I honestly believe like we have the expertise within our countries to do that. I think that is even you know and it's it's um it's it's not an, a big issue. We should do that and we should have we shouldn't have sub like that. But that's a political thing that, you know, I'm not into politics to to say that, but personally, I think we we should. But more importantly, I think we should channel our energy towards, you know, having a vision for Africa, having a vision for African youth generation, giving them, you know, the skills, the 21st century skills that they need to survive, right? And I think information technology, um, cybersecurity is something that we can we can, you know, we can drive and we can we can uh, uh, we can make it our thing, right? So we can make it something that Africa will be very very proud of.
0: You have spoken so passionately about not only cybersecurity but also how we can actually do things differently to, you know, get the budding youth population to become more productive, not only for their respective countries but also for themselves. And interestingly, I like the fact that you talked about, you know, cryptocurrency. And that actually got me thinking about, you know, the important role our governments can, can play in either making or marring any, like, pro- progress that, that we aspire to. And this brings me to the point that just a couple of days ago, the Nigerian government decided to ban cryptocurrency. You know, at a time when we know that a lot of young Nigerian youths... Ban? Had- Yep. They're just the, the Central Bank of Nigeria decided to ban it. I wonder if you, I mean, in your wisdom, given the work you do and the research that you do, is there any practicality? I mean, is there any justifiable reason for this other than just come out and say we are acting in the best interest of Nigeria? How? How is that even? You know, so I wonder if you have anything to say about that.
2: So uh, I, I try as much as possible to stay away pl- from politics. It's it's a very uh, heated political argument in the Nigerian uh, cybersphere, right? So I I, I, I don't want to look at it from the political point of view, but you cannot really give reason without looking at it from national security issue, right? And I uh, somebody that in that is in cyber. I have uh, worked for um, uh, developing, so I've worked closely with people in NSA, in in the National Security Agency here in the United States, and uh, um, I've, uh, I have a very good relationship with a lot of uh, researchers. So if you're in cybersecurity in this country, you have to work with the government in in some way, whether directly or indirectly. Like you know, you have that relationship. My university is um, our the program that I'm currently working. So I'm part of a program in the university uh, and it's a designated program for it's called Center for Academic Excellence in Cyber Operations and Cyber Defense, which is designated and funded by the National Security Agency and also Department of Homeland Security. So national security is something of importance to me because I kind of understand, you know, these things. Now, when we talk about cryptocurrency, just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, 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 background, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. Okay, it's a uh, it's a kind of a currency that you can exchange, right? So you can you can transfer money. So there's kind of an attribution that you you know you um, the person you intend to receive the money receive the money, right? And you know there's that that we can ascertain the transfer happened, but we cannot. There are so many things that is a black box with cryptocurrency, where you cannot be able to trace the source of the money, or, you know, some even details about the transactions. So this makes it very hard for any country to be able to identify where the inflow is coming from, and if there's an outflow, where is it going to, okay? Now, In Nigeria, precisely, we have an enormous amount of problems, okay? And we can see these problems, whether it is, you know, again, Boko Haram, bandits, and, you know, a a lot of other problems across money laundering, right? We can see all of that. And recently, there's been a, a, a case that was, you know, it touched me it touched me really, really bad. It was a case in Abuja that they found a house uh, with, um, was it uh, kids, uh, they were doing like kids pornography. I don't know if you've heard about that.
1: No. These are
2: a lot of things that are happening and most of these things are happening in the dark net. And the way, you know, payments to these things happen, they happen through unfortunately, cryptocurrency, because you cannot trace that, You cannot trace what is happening. So with a lot of our problems, it does it make sense for government to kind of say, we've figured out a couple of these things are happening and these are some of the ways of payment and we want to stop it until we figure out how we can do this? I think yes, if you take national security as an important thing. I know there is no trust with, you know, population and the government because they don't really, you know, uh, the government is not doing more to them, so there is lack of trust for a very long time. But we have to see beyond that, and we have to see the fact that there are a lot of things that could be, that, you know, cryptocurrency could influence so bad, and they will continue to do that. now. We will not, we cannot say 100% that, uh, you know, for instance, Boko Haram sponsors are using cryptocurrency or like, you know, like we, we cannot, I mean, the government may know, I, I'm not privy to that information, but it's possible, right? So I will say cryptocurrency is here to stay, right? It's, 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 it's here to stay forever. But so if the government want to do something, I will suggest to maybe first before taking up those ki- that kind of policy, they need to inform people, right? So sometimes people want to kind of have, um, have a knowledge about something, right? So if let's say there was a case, you know, they found something trace money, maybe money laundering on something. I, I believe in like 21st century democracy, I will say, you know, somebody big in the government Come out, give a press conference. This is big. That is happening. We're having serious problems for national security uh, reasons. We're going to put in a, a stop on this until we figure out how we can make it better, right? But just like coming all of a sudden, without like no much information, nothing, and just saying you're stopping, and a lot of people have invested. That is by itself a problem uh, because. Legitimately, there's a lot of, you know, you know, people have lost money or people are going to lose money. Right. So that is a legit concern to a lot of people. And I feel that, but when it comes to national security, as I've seen it in the United States, uh, the countries comes first before anything. And we have to start thinking in that direction. What is good for our country? How can we stop all these crimes and activities that are happening? If there's a driver, if there's somebody from outside that is sponsoring some of these things and we need to stop it, then it's important that we stop it. And that should be a priority to every you know, citizen in that country. But also government have a responsibility to explain some of these things, right? Um recently, I think the United, the United Kingdom also kind of put in a stop on part of c- cryptocurrency not everything but they did actually put in some kind of a stop somewhere because every country is seeing that something is not right recently when there was this uh, uh january 6th insurgency in the united states they, they there was this talk about you know sponsorship from elsewhere and no country wants to have outside money poured into its country and destabilizing their country so you understand you should understand where that You know, if if you are in government and you have to make those national security decisions, things may change. You may not see it from the position of, you know, people from outside, but you have to engage people and let them know, because if you don't, then you allow, there is a barrier and people don't understand the reason you do things.
0: Um, Thank you so much for really that extensive um, explanation. And it it does make sense to me now, but I, I guess it boils down to engaging with your people, engaging with the people that you're actually governing without just waking up and saying this is it. Because whilst we understand that, yes, you're trying to do something in the national security interest, as you pointed, Boko Haram or other insurgency group might be benefiting from it they could also be benefiting from any other like gold smuggling or even you know other you know money laundering as well but the point is to engage your people because otherwise for some people that might have borrowed money to get into this that's the end for them you know Mm -hmm. and and these are people that are already vulnerable so Mm -hmm. I hear you, and and I like
2: that. And just on that note, Ife, I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, again, there is a lot of lack of trust between the people and and the government, right? Um, We have seen a lot of Ponzi schemes in Nigeria, and a lot of people keep losing money in the Ponzi schemes where, like, nothing happens. Like, you lose it. That's it. It's gone, right? So people just feel that, you know, policies will be put in place, and the president filled the brunt, the most right of the pro of the you know the policy, like nothing has been done to pilot uh, to kind of you know soothe that. So it's just you know we put in a policy that's it. You deal with it. But yeah. I think that is a, a big problem with you know governance in Nigeria. Like we uh, you know I don't again I don't want to get into politics, but we need to be able to uh, to communicate to the people that we're governing that okay this is a matter of national importance. We have to do it. You know, they, but you know, if there is something that we have to put in place, we can actually maybe, you know, put in a timeline that, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna stop something at so time so we can give people some time to, you know, for people that are because it's not everybody that's not doing a, a legitimate, probably maybe a very small percentage is doing that, like illegitimate business, right? But uh, it may have a huge detrimental effect. So I understand that. But that large population that is doing a legitimate business, you know, we have to think about them. We have to make sure that they don't lose for, you know, the sins of others.
1: Especially that Nigeria is a country of entrepreneurship. So people are kind of, there is this culture of taking risk in investment, in making businesses. And I think that I'm not very familiar with like the country's politics, but I do agree with you in terms of like, you know, giving some time for people to recover whatever they're going to like, to save whatever that we're going to lose and say, okay, in a week from now, we're going to, you know, ban all transactions, cryptocurrency transactions and things like that to basically allow people to recover their investment. Right. I mean, it's a country of entrepreneurship, like it always impresses me how many entrepreneurs like women and men are in there. Like, I think it's the first one in Africa, if my memory is correct. Like, if you might than i do but basically it's it they are uh there are risk takers and the fact that the government just comes up you know one morning and says hey that's it we're done why it's not great no and i was just actually uh reading this morning about cryptocurrency as it happens i did not know that it was uh like uh, let's say bitcoin mining was related to uh as much waste like when you waste electricity. Um, that's how it's produced. And it's like the amount of electricity wasted to produce it. It's like that's so as w- in the past it's like gold versus money. And now it's like waste of electricity is like useless calculations that produce electricity, uh, that waste electricity. And that's when you get like your 10 minutes worth. I think I was reading that on the Guardian, like 10 minutes were worth like $20,000 um, worth of electricity waste. So I'm not a very big fan of it just because people are <laughs> struggling to have electricity.
2: <laughs> right, so I, I mean, think that, that's where the, the crypto comes into place, right? So um, into play, it's uh, the, the, the cryptographic algorithms that I've been using. Again, it, it takes an, an enormous amount of uh, resources to kind of run uh, through the algorithms and, and all that.
0: Um, so so far we've really had very impressive conversation, and I'm so excited with the way and the direction you've taken us to. You know, from talking about cybersecurity to sort of understanding these threats, to then highlighting the potentials for the African people. You know, the you know, from 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 the, from the internet, for example, or for from cyber or gaining IT experiences that can help them become more um, employable and hopefully. We would have much less unemployed population in the future. And this is so exciting because this is actually also something that is well recognized by the African Union. So there's this agenda 2063 of the Africa we want, wherein, you know, by the hundredth anniversary of the African Union in 2063, that we will be this continent that is, you know, beautiful, living sustainably, everyone is employed, the women have equal rights and everything else. And whilst you're talking, I could envisage it because they highlighted the important role that technology have to play. And okay. so I wanted to say thank you so much for touching on this. And I wondered if, you know, as a way of trying to round off our, our conversation, the amazing route, you know, the journey that got you from Bayeru University in Kano, you know, for even from your, <laughs> in Ibo we call it otakara or nursery, right? From <laughs> nursery school through those process and 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 where right. you are now what advice do you have for that young girls in a village in algeria for example or somewhere in morocco listening to us if we're right. lucky you know what advice right. do you have for that african young girl or young boy listening right now
2: yeah so 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 that that that's very interesting um just to uh to, to kind of give you a brief a background um, about myself, uh, I, I was born and brought up in Gombe. Uh, so I don't know if you know Gombe. Gombe, it's in the northeastern part of Nigeria. Um, so I did my uh, primary school and secondary school education in Gombe, and then I went to University of Abuja, uh, where I did uh, uh, my first degree in computer science in the, uh, in I started in 2000, finished in 2005, and then um, after that, I, so within that time, I got married, and you know, we moved with my husband to Kano. Uh, he was doing his residency, and uh, um, so that was where I did my MBA. Also, I, I started working at Zenith Bank, and I just like threw computer science by the side, and you know, joined the bank, and worked three years at Zenith Bank. Um, so that was I, I then enrolled in BUK and uh, did my MBA. Uh, so then I decided I want to go back to school and I'm going to come back to that school part. But that was how I, I, I moved on to, to, I went back to Columbia State University. I started uh, lecturing there in computer science. And from there, I came to the United States for my master's and PhD. And, you know, I'm where I am right now. But so it's a, uh, it's an interesting journey. Um, I'm like, you know, an average girl, average Northern Hausa girl, I'm Fulani by tribe, um, uh, but I'm 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 opportuned to be educated because my father was opportune to be educated, right? So he was um, he was a child of no one, and uh, he was educated during the British colonial time. You know, if your parent is no one, then you know you'd be dragged to school. And he used to tell us about a story that when he was at um, uh, uh, the school in Zaria. Um, uh, you know, sometimes when it is during the break time, like he he cannot come back to Gombe because it's far away. Uh, he was he went to Barrio College in Zaria, so uh, he it was far away and he cannot come back home. So he will just sell grasses. Um, in, buyer, uh, in, in, uh, in Zaria, just so he doesn't come back home and disturb his mom because it was far away, right? So, but you know, he he believed in education. My father had you know this huge vision about education, and he he had um, he believed like academic excellence is is the most important thing, and he's so much like he doesn't take failure at all. Like success is the only thing, is the only option it's possible you fail but like failing doesn't mean you're not gonna try again so he just believed there's just a chance that you're gonna succeed And, you know so failure is not a language in our house um, and you also believe in stem so stem science technology engineering mathematics like my father believed that's the future and actually he did so the future like he believes stem education is you know the future and he wanted all of us in the house like everybody goes into STEM education obviously not everyone went into STEM education but he you know it's something that he was passionate about he was an engineer by um by uh by uh, by profession so I think that was that bias uh so um but he believed in that and the fact thing was he also believed the future is female so, uh, even when, you know, uh, a lot of people didn't think like female, you know, women education, girl, child education was a thing. I grew up in a house that I never even know that like female education is a problem until when I started growing up and like, when I meet people and then people talk about like, you know, the discrimination in families that, you know, they don't take female education in Portland. I was like, For my father, like, you know, when you bring your results after the end of the term, like we are, we are assessed in the same way, boys, girls, doesn't matter. Like, you know, boy, wants to read medicine, girl, girl wants to go into medicine, absolutely the same, right? It's, you know, like when it comes to education, my father, like, you know, we are, that, that equality, I've seen it in my home, right? It's, you know, it's. So I, I grew up like with that, like, you know, I I don't feel like there's nothing I can do. Like, I believe knowing that, like, absolutely, I'm going to, you know, do anything I want to do because I'm, I'm capable. That's all I know. I didn't know there, like, until now that, you know, there are things that, you know, people stereotype women can do because I didn't grow up with that. I grew up knowing that I can do because I had that opportunity, you know, having a father that believed the future is like... Female and you know there's no difference between what a female or a male can achieve. So I think that is something that is important that we need to drive in our societies, in our communities, right? So let you know our children, you know, let us raise them to understand the value of um, the, the the value of education, right? If that's first they should understand the value of education. Another thing is they should be able to. Uh, thinking themselves like who do you want to be right so i know my father wanted us to go to stem as i mentioned Not every one of us went to stem i wanted to be a doctor and he, he you know he wanted me to go into medicine like for all i remember it in my elementary and, and secondary school days but then in just my last year of secondary school i decided i don't i don't want to do medicine because i hate chemistry and i met him i was like baba i don't want to do I don't want to do medicine he was like and he used to tease me because i was named after his mom and he was like yeah like why you don't want to do chemistry why you don't want to do medicine i was like i hate chemistry i'm not gonna pass chemistry and he was like okay then do what you like and i still remember those words so then what do i like i didn't even know because i did computer science and I, i i went to private school so we have this small computer lab that we just you know kind of mess around with but not much so computer science wasn't even you know, offer it in a lot of universities. So, but I wanted to do, I know I was good in math and physics. So I wanted to do something with math and physics. If you are, if you know Nigerian system, you know, we have to do the jam, right? So I want, uh, you have to select courses to fit into your jam. So I wanted to do something like that, but just, you know, something that I can do math and physics. So with my brothers, we, you know, they helped me and we figured out, okay, why not computer science? There's like one or two universities doing, so I decided to apply I think going into cyber, like when I did computer science, just like I wanted math and I want I've always wanted to change my major into math because I'm just so in love with math. And up to the time I came here in the United States for my master's, um, I came for computer science because I started teaching computer science. So I, I, I need a graduate degree in computer science. So I came here and I took my first course in computer security. And that's when I knew, okay, this exactly is me this is just what I'm built for. Like, this is my vocation. And since then, that's 10 years ago and I've been doing cyber <laughs> forever <laughs> now. So, so that, that's about my, my story. But I think, well, most importantly is as a society, I'm fortunate to have that father, it did, you know, drives that in me, but somebody may not have that father, but we can help our community, our society, encourage kids with you know with education like in whatever capacity you can like you know um, I think representation is important right so whatever we are doing you know all of us here I think there are a lot of other girls that are looking up to us like she is doing it like oh my gosh she's you know I'm just like her like why can't I do it if you're hearing me you can damn do it, like, you can absolutely do it, so, you know, there is nothing, you know, you can, I I know there are so many barriers, and I understand those barriers, but, um, you know, I think there are a lot of supports uh, available all over, Um, and hopefully, you know, we can have even more supports, like, into, you know, local communities, but, you know, as a person, I think you can
0: do it. Thank you so very much for that beautiful advice and thank you also for honoring our invitation. It's been a privilege, it's been a joy. I mean, I could listen to you all day, (laughs) but obviously we have a time limit. So this is me saying thank you so very much for being our guest.
1: You have welcome. learned so much. Thank you so much for sharing your ex- your experience with us and your knowledge. Um, and thank I'm you. quite sure our audience is going to love this because it's not the typical subjects that we're talking about. And so this is very much needed. It's in every single person's household that there is this threat. So um, I'm quite sure they're going to love um, hearing your advice and your expertise on this. So thank you so much. Right. Thank,
2: right. Uh, thank you for having me, Lenghis.
0: Bye.
2: Have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, you
0: too.